0: still quite a few cars that are coming up the hill. So uh, we're going to begin uh, and this may be a unusual introduction, but I think if you uh, remind yourself of what today is, what yesterday was, you know, it's just not September the 11th anymore. It's not just September the 12th anymore, but our world changed on those days, our world changed again this year, but September the 11th and 12th especially will always be very special. I read an article on Fox News. You can go back and read it when you get done. Don't pull up your phones now and read it. Wait. But I thought it was quite interesting because the the gentleman that wrote the um, article was talking about how... How important or how much we give recognition to September the 11th. And he was talking about that we should give recognition to September the 12th also. Because it was the day after all that happened that America came together for a short season. I wish I could say for a long season, but it was only a short season. America came together. We all loved each other. We all joined together. We had prayer meetings going all over this nation. Churches everywhere, all kinds of churches. That is no longer the case. But on the 12th, it was a very important day also. So this is September the 12th that we are celebrating the goodness of God for 50 years in this city. Somebody give him glory. So I just feel like it would be all right if you would stand with me. And we would say, God bless
1: America, land that
0: I love,
2: stand beside her.
0: To join with me right now and pray for our nation. I want you to pray for our leaders. Come on, I want apostolic prayer. I don't want, I don't want just whispering. I want you to pray. They need our prayers. Come on, in the name of Jesus. Thank you,
1: Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
2: Hallelujah. The glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the fatal lightning of his terror.
0: music. I like singing. So a lot of times I like to read a history of a song. I just enjoy doing that. Um, and I realize this song, I see a lot of young people don't even know it, but tonight's the past. So sit back and relax and enjoy the ride because only we older people can, uh, sing some of these songs, but I read the history of this song and I was quite impressed. It actually was taken from a hymn. Somebody had written a hymn, and then somebody wrote this, and they kind of took some of the words and combined it together. And, and it made a lot of sense to me because as, as uh, young as I am, I'm quite in the crap. Okay, somebody got a brownie point. Who got it? All right, go for it, girl. I've taught my three youngest grandchildren to tell everybody when they ask how old their dad is now by the way happy birthday Pastor Joel right but I've told taught my grandchildren when they ask how old their dad is to say oh he's so and so if you don't know you go ask him I'm not telling his age and I said you know people's and you say to them, but he has a very young mother. Yeah, I'm bribing them to tell people that. Next year, I'm going to work on Pastor David's kids. Because when they ask Pastor David right how old he is, they're going to think, well, now you're that age, so your mother was... No. So they're going to say, but you should see how young his mother still looks. She looks great. So I realize that we're from the past tonight. And some of you won't be able to join in. But uh, I've always loved this song. From a little girl, I've always loved this song. And I never figured out why until I read the history of it yesterday. And it just amazed me. It started out in a church. Well, that's where I started out. I went to church, and I never wanted to go anywhere else because I love Jesus more than anything else in this life. He means more to me than all of this world. But uh, I was asked to be a part of the, um, I think it was the Veterans Service. I think it was at West. Was that what I was at? I believe it was. Um, And um, we were asked to do this song. And uh, when I looked it up, I found a verse that I had never found before. And if you know it, I want you to sing it with me. You don't, I want you to be quiet. Don't make up the words. And I don't think Bishop and and Pastor, uh, and uh, what's his name? John Whaley, I don't think they know the verse, so they're gonna to have to let me sing it. But I, I'm gonna try hard anyway. It's quite different, but I absolutely fell in love with this when I when I heard this verse. I have read a fiery gospel, writ in burnished rows of steel. As ye deal with my contender's so you with my grace shall deal. Let the hero born of woman crush the spirit with his heel. Since God
1: is marching on. Christ was born across the sea With a glory at his bosom That
2: transfigures you and me As he died to make men holy Let us die to make men free
1: While God
2: is marching on Oh, glory, glory, glory
3: You may be seated. God bless you. Welcome to this service. If this seems strange to you, that tells you how long it's been since you joined this church. Because uh, I remember this vividly. (laughs) We were here almost nine months with no place at all to have church. And then we we held services in 22 different buildings. In the first 12 years, we renovated so many old buildings they should have given us our own, uh, uh, what do you call that grant, Uh, renovation grant or whatever it is. Yeah, they should have done that. Uh, I realize everybody here has got their different. You got your own faith about COVID. On this property, your faith doesn't count. Okay? My authority does. Right? And so out of respect to others, and the Bible says you have faith, have it to yourself. That means you don't go walking around here greeting everybody with your mask off. Well, I don't like it. I'm sorry you don't like it. I don't like it either. But I'm wearing one. If you're seated, seated, sitting down, you don't have to wear one. If somebody approaches you, they're the one that has to have a mask on. Okay? If you want to take yours off sitting down, as long as you're far enough away, it's fine. But we are going to do what we're expected to do. And this isn't fear. I, I don't have any fear. I don't have any fear. I'm submitting to the, uh, the authority Uh, as long as it doesn't contradict my convictions. I pray just as good with a mask on as one off. You just can't hear me good. (laughs) So if you get out of your seat to move around, uh, please don't do so without a mask on. Well, I don't need one. This isn't about you. This is about us respecting one another. Hello, glory to God, hallelujah, Amen. If this kills the spirit, we didn't have much of a spirit in the first place. Except the wrong spirit. Okay? Uh, but uh, those that survived those first uh, 12 years can tell you how gentle I'm being, relatively speaking. <laughs> so, uh, if we... if There is a move of God, and we pray for one another. You do not pray for anybody without a mask on. Do not pray for anybody without a mask on. And I don't care how senior you are here. If you're moving around among people, put your mask on. Well, I've got faith. Great. Keep it to yourself. Romans 14, I got book. (laughs) Respect everybody else, all right? praise God. Uh, this is very fitting. We had a big weekend planned, all kind of speakers coming, all kind of stuff going on and, uh, none of it except basically, I guess Sunday night's kind of the same. Uh, but, uh, I wasn't going to preach, uh, in the plans, but I'm going to speak tonight or this evening whenever it's time. Um, And uh, as my wife has already said, uh, if you don't know these songs, you don't know what you're missing. I like the new ones, but at least I like the old ones and the new ones. If you only like the new ones, uh, you don't know what you're missing. (laughs) I mean, Amazing Grace is pretty old, isn't it? Anybody here not like that one? (laughs) Hopefully, you've experienced enough grace that you appreciate that. So, again um, I'm going to pray and I'm believing I was with uh, Antioch North Sunday and I prayed and uh, I I spoke what God gave me and I believe with all my heart that nobody's going to get COVID today from this nobody I believe that I have been praying I'm praying today I'm about to pray again before Sister Wright continues and uh, I'm believing that. I believe that with everything in me. However, uh, we're still going to abide by uh, Antioch's guidelines. It's not the government's guidelines. You don't know, everyone, everybody's got their own gu- guidelines. They're different. Everybody's guidelines are different. So these are our guidelines, all right? You, uh, you, if households sit together and you maintain social distance between the groups, Uh, Don't try to hug somebody who is not comfortable being hugged. Ask first. Bump fists, bump elbows, don't touch at all, say I love you, whatever. But don't impose yourself on everybody else. And if you think I'm caving into the government, then you really don't know me at all. I'm doing what God told me to do. God, G-O-D, Lord Jesus Christ. All right? Got it? And uh, if when he tells me to do something different than when I'm in charge of the service, we'll do something different. But if if you're going to sit there, a couple of you are just really on the border being angry with me, get over it. This isn't about you. I mean, seriously, this isn't about you and your desire to fight everything that comes down the pipe that's contrary to what you think it ought to be. Okay? So just get over it. Let's have church. Uh, let's let's worship God together. Uh, I've got a word from the Lord today that I was given on the 24th of August after it was finally decided that we were totally canceling the plans and postponing them technically till next year. We will celebrate if the will of god be so the 50th the big 50th anniversary celebration will be next week next year on this same weekend uh if the lord wills it to be so i'm hoping that we have had so much revival and harvest breakout we can't stop to have a celebration so this will have to do okay that's my that's my prayer that's my hope but if not uh we can we can we can do this, okay? So uh, if you know the song, sing with us. If you don't, hum along, and uh, let's let the Lord uh, bless us here a little bit.
2: Praise when God! Sings
1: my soul, my, my
2: Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou! I saw Lord, you're worthy of my highest praise. Hallelujah! Hallelujah is my highest praise. Hallelujah! Now! Now and for always. Your goodness, Your goodness. and, and mercy. Your mercy causes me to say, Lord, you're worthy of my highest praise. I want you to think back just a
0: minute. I want you to think back just a minute. I want, you to, minute. I want yeah. you to think back of the days you've been through for the last, what was it, March 14th, 15th, what was it? Who knows? 16th. Somewhere, Elizabeth 13th, right? You're 13th. It was like three, four days after your birthday. Okay, we went into what was called lockdown. Honey, you know what that was? Where you weren't supposed to come out. Some of you cheated and come out, but you weren't supposed to. Okay. And then, that wasn't good enough. Then, they blessed us with this most unique thing in the world. It's called a mask. And so, we started wearing masks. And everywhere we go, you better have a bottle of sanitizer, with you? If you don't, don't come talk to me after church. Because you need it. I could have made a lot of money selling that stuff. Okay. So we went into a whole new world, right? And I want you you think about that real quick. And I thought, I've reminded you, because some of you already forgotten what you've been through. It's so good now. Life is so good. Looking better. You forgot where we've been. But in those few times that you were just ready to say it's not worth it. I want to know if there was somebody in here that was saying,
1: Lord,
0: you're
1: worthy
2: of my highest praise. Lord, you're worthy now and for always. Your goodness. Your goodness and mercy causes me to say, Lord, you're worthy of my highest praise. Is he worthy? Is he worthy?
1: Lord,
2: you're worthy of my highest praise.
1: Hallelujah!
2: Lord, you're worthy now and for always. Your goodness and mercy causes me to say, Lord, you're worthy of my highest praise. praise the hallelujah now now and for always your goodness goodness and mercy causes me me to say Lord you're worthy of my highest highest praise praise.
1: hallelujah
2: hallelujah is the highest praise hallelujah hallelujah now and for always your goodness and mercy mercy. causes me to say lord you're worthy of my highest praise
0: oh he's worthy somebody in the crowd lift your voice and give him praise I think of the goodness Goodness of
2: of Jesus, and all he He has done done for me, me. my soul cries out, hallelujah, Hallelujah. praise God for me. Goodness of Jesus and all he oh, ever done, done. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we
1: serve. What a mighty God
2: we 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 serve. Angels bow before Him. Heaven and earth adore Him. What a mighty God we We serve. Mighty God, we serve. God. What a mighty God we, we serve. Angels bow before Him. Heaven and earth. Heaven and earth adore Him. Angels bow, angels bow before Him. Heaven and
1: earth adore Him. Angels bow before Him. Heaven and earth adore Him.
3: Praise God. You may be seated. God bless you.
2: Uh, let's do more later. You can go ahead and sit down.
3: Yep. Praise God. Um, this is going to be a little different, possibly. Uh, some of you may have a little bit of a concern over some things that uh, you might hear today because it might be different for you. Uh, but I was... Uh, praying early in the morning on the 24th of August and I heard the words exceeding great and precious promises and the Lord said to me I want you to tell the promises some of you have been coming here a long time and you know very little about the foundation of the faith of this church If you think we're just showing up here, spending money on lights and mortgage payments and all that stuff, and uh, there's not a reason, uh, then you're not, it's not true. There's a reason. There's always a reason. There's nothing that's ever done without a reason. And in addition to that reason, there are an abundance of scriptures to back those up. And it possibly, it is possible that uh, you may not have heard the scriptures before, but there is. So this this is going to be a little different. Um, it's First of all, it's the first time I've come to a church service and was concerned about getting a sunburn. You got your back to the sun. I don't. And I have uh, according to the doctor that did both of my uh, cataract surgeries I have very light color eyes and they're very sensitive to light so if you see me in the pulpit or in a video and it looks like I'm angry I'm not I can't see all those lights in my face I can't I literally I can't see and so I'm squinting to try to see and it looks like I'm frowning or angry or whatever I'm not frowning I'm not angry I'm just trying to see And looking over here, I'm really angry, see? And over here, I'm not quite as angry, as far as some people are concerned, right? So anyway, uh, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures to you, and uh, we're not in a hurry, not trying to be in a hurry, but uh, it is warm up here, and uh, my dear one is going to get a break, however long, I don't know if we're going to take a break and sing a song or two in the midst of this. But uh, as I got to praying about this, and he began to add details into different things, uh, some of the things I'll be telling are, are foundational because they are faith that God gave me before I came here. But it's critical for you to understand where that faith comes from. I'm reading from Second Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. I'm going to read four verses. I'd love to read the entire chapter, but for time's sake, I won't do that. whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these by these promises ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust now, i'm not going to comment on that i'm going to read quickly two other translations just so that you can get the flavor of it without me having to get too uh, in depth in the uh, and what the words are saying. So I'm reading 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 2, beginning with verse 2, three verses, 2, 3, and 4 from the Amplified. May grace, God's favor and peace, which is perfect well-being, all necessary good, all spiritual prosperity and freedom from fears and agitating passions and moral conflicts whew, be multiplied to you in the full, personal, precise, and correct knowledge of God, And of our of Jesus our Lord for his divine power has bestowed upon us all things that are requisite and suited to the life to life and godliness through the full personal knowledge of him who called us by and to his own glory and excellence or virtue by means of these he has bestowed on us his precious and exceedingly great promises so that through them you may escape by flight from the moral decay, rottenness, and corruption that is in the world because of covetousness, lust and greed, and become sharers or partakers of the divine nature. And then finally, We expanded translation of the New Testament says verse two, chapter one of Second Peter sanctifying grace to you and tranquilizing peace be multiplied in the sphere of and by the experiential knowledge which the believer has of God, even Jesus our Lord. Seeing that all things to us his divine power has generously given, the, the things which pertain to life and godliness through the experiential knowledge which the believer has of the one of the one who who called us into salvation by means of his own glory and virtue, by means of which, glory and virtue, they have there have been generously given to us the precious and exceedingly great promises in order that through these you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped by flight the corruption which is in the world in the sphere of passionate cravings. Now, um, I'm, I'm not sharing, uh, I, there, I have some more scriptures, but what I'm sharing with you now are, uh, testimonies of experiences with God of things He said and things He did. And those that He's already fulfilled are intended to give you to strengthen your faith in the things he said and hasn't yet done. That's the purpose. So he gives some promises, and they come to pass fairly quickly. But not the big ones. I mean, I'll be 75 in February, and I'm praying that God doesn't do to me what he did to Abraham. And give him a promise of a son at 75. 75. That he then had to wait 25 years to get. I'll pass on that one. Unless it's the will of God. <laughs> I want the will of God. I just am praying. Nevertheless, not my will but the be done. I'm praying that one, right? So the major promises in the scripture, they're often given where it sounds like they're going to happen right away. But they don't. Sarah was sixty-five, Abraham was seventy-five, and uh, there's only five and a half years difference between us. They were there were ten years difference between them, and God waited till he was seventy-five and she was sixty-five to give the promise of Isaac. Now He gives us promises that are more short-term. The purpose of those promises is they're important. But their number one importance isn't what you're getting from the promise. The number one importance of those promises, those short-term promises, is to give you faith and confidence that the long-term, the big stuff, that he's promised not just to you, but there is a much broader scope for those promises, that you will live with as much faith for those things that may be long-term. There, According to Hebrews 11, there were people that believed certain promises all of their lives and died in faith not having actually seen that promise but god did fulfill the promise it's just not in their lifetime uh and 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 some of us are so temporal for oriented that if god's not going to do what he promised to me right now what good is that to me well not a whole lot since uh this is your heaven and you might as well enjoy the world to the fullest because you don't have saving faith if that is your perspective. I'm not trying to be unkind to tell you the truth. If your whole relationship with God and all of your faith and all of your prayers is about here and now, uh, why then you must not want to go to heaven. It's not about here and now. This is all temporary. Trust me. I, I, I was someplace the other day and I was talking and I looked down the the sun was hitting that hand just a certain way and I saw more wrinkles than I said saw skin. And I went, Whose hand is that? And then I followed it up the arm and realized it was my that's my hand that can't be my hand. They can't that's too temporary looking. It's really temporary looking. Do all the Botox you want. Not going to, that's not going to make this heaven for you. This isn't going to be heaven for you just because you get your wrinkles straightened out. I mean, the thing I don't understand about some people dieting, dieting creates wrinkles. Because stuff that was stretched taut, now is going to fold all over itself. So, you know, which do you want, no wrinkles or to lose weight? you got to make a decision because unless you're going to live at this plastic surgeon's office, you may not like your look any better skinny than you did overweight, just a different look. So this is all temporary. And uh, so here goes. Some of these in the beginning are going to be some of those that I get the most eye rolls at. Uh, So that's okay. In the fall of 1952, at age six, I was in a church service on a Sunday night in Pensacola, Florida. And there was a lady preacher preaching about the coming of the Lord. And there was such conviction of the Lord in the place that it woke me up. Because when you're little, you sleep in church. You you do get to do that. You you don't want to be an adult sleeping in church, but okay. Okay. you know, and and if you can get a doctor to say that you've got sleep apnea, that lets you sleep in church and nobody goes, what's wrong with it? Anyway, so I, uh, I woke up and there was such conviction in the house. I don't remember ever praying when I ever in my life up to that point that I didn't, that I initiated or that God initiated the prayer and I actually prayed and talked to him. I'd gone to Sunday school all my life. I'm sure I did something, repeated prayers or something, but I don't ever remember praying. But this night I prayed. And I prayed for my dad, who was not a Christian at the time, and he was away fighting in the Korean War. And this was my first real prayer. This was 1952. I was six years old. And God fulfilled that or answered that prayer in on December the 30th, 1979. And he did it here on Windsor Avenue in uh, Annapolis, Maryland, in our building. The last Sunday, the last service of 1979. So, 52 to 79, that seemed like a long time then. And there were times, frankly, as a kid growing up, I couldn't... My dad was a good guy, but he was a sinner. And I I had a hard time imagining. I remember thinking... (sighs) Can my dad really, is he willing to change? Is he really willing to be saved? At times I didn't think so. But God answered that prayer. And now I can't remember him lost. I really can't. I can't remember what it was like when he was lost. 1952 to 1958. I was 6 and 52. I got the Holy Ghost in 58. I had a recurring dream. Uh, it happened a various number of times a year. I never sought for it. It kind of was a little frightening to me, frankly, at the time. But I had a recurring dream, and uh, I don't even remember how many times I had it. Uh, in every one of these dreams, I was alive and saw myself raptured with others who were alive. As I grew older, and after I got the Holy Ghost, the Lord let me know that He was showing me His promise to me. And I can't tell you the number of times I had that dream. And it was the same exact dream. I, I couldn't have repeated it myself asleep if I wanted to. Uh so he confirmed to me this to me through this dream many times before I uh, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. However, after receiving the Holy Ghost, the dream stopped, but the vision started. And I would have that exact same scenario, the same thing, I would live it while I was in the spirit talking in tongues from the time I was 12 till the time I was probably 18 or so, and I became, the Lord assured me, and I became convinced that he was assuring me I was going to live to see the rapture. I would not be dead. I would not be a part of the dead in Christ. One thing you need to understand, it really doesn't matter whether you believe that or not. I believe it. And I'm a lot of things, but I'm not a fool. But if you want to call that childlike faith, that is the greatest faith you can have It's childlike faith. A parent that never lies to their child, that child knows that if they can get, just get their parent to make a commitment. It's as good as done. That's great faith. That's great faith. We adults, we want to think about it. and We want to mull it over and we want to know, well, what does that really mean? you tell a child something that child knows what it, mean, it thinks it means it doesn't have to ask you and expect that child's expecting you to do exactly what you said you would do in uh, February 20 on, on February the 23rd the Sunday after my 12th birthday I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and uh, was baptized in Jesus name i don't even know why this happened i don't nobody said this to me nobody ever preached this to me But almost immediately afterwards, I started praying for the wife that that was his will for me. Somehow, at 12, I knew that having the wife that God planned for me was critical to everything that he would do with and through us. And that if I ended up with a wife out of his will, I could still be saved and she could still be saved. But we would never reach the potential that he planned for us. That's why I have taught, ever since I've been a pastor here, you do not get married by the emotion of what we call love. You get married based on the will of God alone. If you marry for any other reason, you're not going to like it. Because when you get married in the will of God, it's not that that means there's no trouble. It just means that God saw that, He knew all of that, And he's got a plan for all of that. And it's going to be okay. Now, obviously, if you're already married and you come to God and and you get saved, that's the will of God for you. That's your husband, that's your wife in God. And regardless of what the will of God was before you got married, once you say, I do, that's your wife. That's your husband. And don't say, I miss God. No, too late. Because the word now says you're bound to them. Forever and ever, amen. Right? Except when you get to heaven, we will just know that we were. If you're in the church, you go to heaven, we won't be married in heaven. The church is going to be married to Christ. But that's another subject altogether. So, uh, I'm skipping through some stuff here to get to what I, the things I feel to talk about. On May the 29th in 1968, in Dover, Delaware, after a Wednesday night service, uh, the Preacher that night preached a message on the coming of the Lord. And, uh, the urgency I felt in the Spirit was so great that I, I fell over the altar, the platform area. There was no actual separate altar. I laid over the platform. It would, it hit me right about here when I was on my knees. And with tears, I begged God to use me now. Not five years after I had, did my five year obligation, I begged Him and uh as the spirit began to lift and i was still laid over the altar there was a lady behind me i don't know to this day uh, i'd been visiting that church off and on for the uh, for, for about a year and a half as i had opportunity and i probably would have known the lady but i never asked who it was but there was a late that someone gave a message in tongues and somebody in, and this lady interpreted it. and the lord said and i'm only going to give you just the nutshell because the whole thing is between him and me the Lord said, I will use you mightily and do a great work through you. Now, one week after that, I graduated from the Naval Academy. Almost immediately, we, I had 60 days leave. I went home to, with my folks, and pastors started calling me and asking me to preach. I never one time said, hey, I'm available. They started calling me. I preached almost every weekend for the six, the 60 days of leave and continued to preach, uh, a lot. In fact, back then it was more rigid than we are now, but you had to preach 26 times in six months in a pulpit to get your local license. And five and a half months after I graduated from the Naval Academy, which the district board at that time in that state, chose to acknowledge that is the beginning of my ministry or the beginning of the six months i had preached 28 times in five and a half months in a pulpit someplace so the lord immediately began to do what he said he was going to do and uh the church i got the holy ghost in at, at age 12 was the only church i'd ever attended where the young people were the altar workers And so I got the Holy Ghost the Sunday after my 12th birthday. And the next Sunday, I'm in the altar praying for people to receive the Holy Ghost. I didn't even know there was anything odd about that. I didn't even know that was strange. I I learned, the Lord taught me how to pray with people for them to receive the Holy Ghost before I even hit 13. And so all of my life uh, of having the Holy Ghost, he has used me to do that uh, when it's been what he's doing through me. Uh, then a few days after graduation, one week after that prophecy or tongues of interpretation, I graduated. Two days after that, I was in a service in Jacksonville, Florida, and met the one that God had chosen to be my wife. And as they say, the rest is history. And uh, I can't even imagine having been here two years, forget 50 years, without her And I working together as a team. In August of 68. 68 was a really busy year. I was prayed for by the church on a Sunday night near the end of August. And I begged the Lord to get me out. uh, Honorably get me out of the five year obligation so I could preach. He he assured me that night that he was going to do just that. So. Uh I got, my, I got married on the 1st of November, and I, got, uh, I received the, uh, my local license on the 14th of November. And I woke up on the morning of December the 4th with a pain in my shoulder. And I was in flight school, and the flight surgeon thought I was faking it because guys would go to sick bay to get out of flying if they weren't ready to fly. And uh, he gave me some stuff, sent me home, and when I came back the next day, Uh, he, He was sure I was faking it He couldn't see the pain And so he gave me two shots of cortisone Between the shoulder blade and the spinal column And sent me home for the weekend And when I came in on Monday My right shoulder blade was flopping out And to this day I have a paralyzed right shoulder blade And uh They put me on limited duty For a year And uh in order to get my general license, I had to preach 52 times in a, year, in a year's time. And uh, I preached so much during that year the Navy was paying me that I more than qualified for my general license in November of 69. And on the 1st of J- December of 69, I was medically retired. And on the 1st of January of 1970, 30 days later, I started evangelizing full time. Some of you didn't know I'm paralyzed. It is the price I paid to be able to come build this church. I live with it every day. I'm not complaining about it. At least he didn't throw my hip out of joint. The function of the shoulder blade is that the muscle muscles of the shoulder blade hold it against your rib cage to give leverage. So you can raise the upper arm away from the rib cage, And uh, with a paralyzed shoulder blade, you can't do that. You can't do that. But about uh, ten years after I was retired, I'm in church one night. And I'm just praising God. And all of a sudden I realized... I got two hands up. You don't believe in miracles? This is physiologically impossible. I'm still paralyzed. Now, if that had happened within two years after I was retired, I would have been put back on the on active duty or I would have had to resign my commission to stay out. But, because I uh, am right-handed and I'm still paralyzed and the doctors cannot explain how that happens. They have no explanation for that. That shouldn't be possible for me to do. But uh, for three years, I got a, a 50% tax-free retirement check. And uh, then they permanently retired me because I was on the temporary disability retired list until the end of '72, and then and that allowed me to come here and not have to work a totally full time job. I had to have other support, but as the church grew, I was not I was able to stay full time in the ministry. And then uh, after they put me on the permanent list. That was reduced to 30%. And so that's been a, just a little bit of a cushion in the very difficult times. Um, so we started evangelizing on the 1st of January of 70. On the 2nd of September, we're preaching a revival in Greenville, South Carolina. God has been working me over all summer. My four years at the Naval Academy were very painful, very lonely. Uh, rarely a day went by that I didn't suffer at least indirect persecution. In many days, it was direct persecution. Even after I was an upperclassman, I was the weird one, whatever. But the Lord made me who he wanted me to be. He changed my whole life during those four years. It was the fiery furnace Sometimes it was emotional. Sometimes it was words. Sometimes it was very physical when they were in the position to try to break me. The uh, starting linebacker, middle linebacker for the Navy football team as a junior who was the the captain of the team his sophomore year, which was my my uh, his senior year, which was my sophomore year. He stood me up against the wall one day and took his finger and dropped it down inside my uniform top and pounded me with that knuckle right in that breastbone and said, right. Other guys have come here as Christians and we changed them and we will break you too. That was one of the greatest favors anybody ever done to me in my life. Because something rose up in me and said, and I re- didn't. it was years before I realized who it was. It was God. And he, And it said, oh, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're not not changing me. You're not deciding who I believe in and what I believe and how I live. You're not going to decide that. And uh, so the fire, the fire was um, hot. (laughs) But, see, I have a tremendous advantage over almost all of you. I've already suffered physical persecution, and I know the grace of God in that. Some of you fear persecution because you've never had to experience it. But if you've really experienced persecution, and these guys that have served in the military, they can tell you how intense that persecution can be in peer pressure because you can't get away from it. There's no place to escape it. And uh, it wasn't easy. It was very difficult, frankly, but I wouldn't trade a moment of it for the benefit that God worked in my life. So uh in uh September this on September the second, which was a Wednesday, uh the it was the Wednesday before Labor Day. We we're preaching in Greenville, South Carolina. I was at an altar. Uh I was supposed to be I didn't want to come back here because of the pain, the loneliness. Uh I didn't know I don't I don't think there was another Pentecostal there at the Academy my whole four years except the ones that the Lord ended up winning through me. Those were the only ones that I'm aware of um, in my whole four years. So I didn't really want to come back here. So he worked on me, worked on me, worked on me. I won't go into the whole story. But I'm 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 bent over the altar in the church I'm supposed to be preaching a two-week revival for and I should have refunded their offering because I spent all day praying about ha- not having to come here, frankly. Not, n- nothing against you personally or whatever, not anything against the city. It's just all the memories that were here, the very difficult memories. And uh, I um, finally <laughs> breathed a big sigh of relief and gave up the human ghost and said, okay, I'll come. And immediately, immediately when I surrendered, I'm still slumped over that altar, uh, that platform, using it as an altar. Right, The pulpit was right here. And uh, I, I'm laid there praying, and I saw a vision. And I saw a vision of a very wide, large, white church building. And it was sitting on a four-lane highway right outside of Annapolis, Maryland. I didn't know where that spot was. But I saw it. For many years, I thought that was the building God promised me he was going to give us. But when everything I have tried to build that building has failed, uh, he finally got through my head. Uh, Not too long ago, he said to me, look at that building again. So I remembered the vision, and what it was was, there were multiple fronts that were all kind of connected across together and the fronts were all different the color was pure white which uh you know in this time of race relations uh <laughs> i kind of resent being called white cuz i'm that's that's white that's not white Okay, it's not okay. That's why when the scripture says that the the, the white linens or the or ra- the is the righteousness of the saints, I don't want to be in a place where I've got to apologize for Jesus right. Right. for calling white righteousness. Because if there's anybody here white, please call the paramedics because they're very ill. Okay, so anyway, so I saw those buildings and they were all coupled together. And the Lord made me know it was one church because each one of those fronts shared a wall with uh, with the or the churches on both sides of it so that it was one building. And that's what he promised to do. We didn't begin to get there until February of 2012 when Antioch North was started. And we took the next step in June of 15 when Antioch West was started. And I don't know how many of those storefronts there were, or church fronts there were. All I'm telling you is there was a huge it was a, a bunch of them. It was, it was a very wide building. That's why we actually bought a steel building that was 200 feet wide, 250 feet long. It's laying right over there that the Lord is not going to let us build because he wants multiple locations, not in a single location. It took me a while to understand that and it took him a while to decide he was going to explain it. I meant what I said. In uh, June of 19, we came here. <laughs> he spoke to me on Wednesday the 2nd. I preached through the weekend. On Sunday night after church, Greenville is halfway between Pensacola and Annapolis, almost exactly. We left our car there. The two of us got on a Greyhound bus on Sunday night, the night before Labor Day. We rode 24 hours home, 500 miles, 24 hours it took to go those 500 miles. We got into my parents' house late Monday evening. Uh, I had bought a little Volkswagen, stripped-down Volkswagen van to pick up kids for for Sunday school when I was the Sunday school superintendent in the church we were attending in uh, right outside the gates in Pensacola. It was a little home missions work, and uh, I bought that back from my dad, and uh, we took both cars over to Mississippi to my wife's parents' house, picked up the stuff from my folks' house, from her folks' house, and by Thursday morning, we're driving back to Greenville. We get into Greenville on Thursday night, and Friday morning, we uh, take, uh, I said, we both cars, no, one car was still in Greenville, so we took the van over to her folks, drove the van, and it was one of those Volkswagen bands that'll do 60 downhill with a tailwind, but 30 at best, on any kind of incline, but we made it. And so uh, we, we got to the pastor's house and uh, spent the night. And uh, Friday we started headed heading this way, and we got here um, Saturday morning, Saturday morning, September the 12th, 1970. I had $300 in the bank. That's it no promise of money from anybody anywhere and there were no people here there was no one waiting here here waiting on a a a pastor that preached one god in acts 238 nobody and uh it was since it was after labor day edgewater was mostly summer cottages back then and they had uh with labor day they shut them down and i couldn't afford a a motel and so i knocked on this guy's door somebody sent me to him and I said, I need to rent your cottage. I just winterized it. I said, but I need to, I need to rent it because I can't afford a hotel. He said, What are you doing here? Uh, I said, Well, I went to the Naval Academy, and there was no church here of my faith, and God has sent me back here. And his response to me was, Don't you think Annapolis has enough churches? That was our welcoming committee. Don't you think Annapolis has enough churches? I'm 24. She's 19. I've never pastored. She was raised in a pastor's home. 24. She was 19. And she's the one with the experience. And. um, I've been in revivals. and The first thing I do when I start a revival i'd ask the pastor who is here has been seeking for the holy ghost the longest hadn't got it and there'd be some folks six months one was 10 12 years and i would pray that person through the first night get the altars cleared up and that would of course break faith loose because those people not getting the holy ghost was keeping people from believing people could get the holy ghost well i i this is my faith this is what I'm used to doing, so i get to I get to uh Annapolis and i we'd prayed seven- seven guys through here while I was here with no church and uh couldn't the people we witnessed to and we had church services, the people that came to church we couldn't get them prayed through I didn't know what was wrong. First time in my life, it, ever since I'd gotten the Holy Ghost, that didn't work. Nothing I tried worked. Nothing, and I didn't know what's wrong. And uh, uh, in March of twenty uh, of, of uh, nineteen seventy-one, uh, we had been approved for Christmas for Christ. That was a home mission offer. You've heard of it, where they support home missionaries to whatever, and so. Uh, I they they want to know what how much I needed and I was a nobody nobody knew me I didn't have a dad that would vouch for me no no big names or whatever so I lowballed the amount I needed to live I asked for 450 dollars a month and uh, that was <laughs> oh that was squeezing by at best and uh When I got to the seminar, the Christmas for Christ seminar in Jackson, Mississippi, in March of 71, uh, we went in to meet with them to talk about how this was going to work. And I didn't know they were offering two years at half support or one year at full support. Well, the last thing I wanted to do was to go one year with full support and then not have enough people prayed through that we could continue to work full time in the ministry. So I took two years at half support. So I had my Navy check, and I had this $225 a month, and, and here we are, and we can't get anybody prayed through. Nothing's working. Everything I'd ever done, everything he'd ever taught me to do, nothing was working. And uh, they told us at the seminar in March that it was pretty typical that new home missionaries in a town would uh, end up expecting because there was so little to do. I kind of chuckled at that, but I didn't know my wife was already expecting. And then I, David has David has been David and Paul are my two Hebrew heroes in the Bible, other than Jesus, of course, because of their hunger to know Jesus as a person. Oh God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and a thirsty land where no water is. To see Thy power. And thy glory so as I've seen thee in the sanctuary. That I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being made conformable unto his death. So I always wanted a son named David. Well, my wife had a dream in June of 71. She dreamed of a little blonde-headed, blue-eyed boy. And I know he did not look like that today. He outgrew that but that's what he looked like when he was born and we, we, we didn't we couldn't we just couldn't decide on a middle name and in the dream his name was David Stephen and when she woke up and told me the dream I said that's his name well I'm a big word guy you know that so I immediately looked up the name David Stephen and it means beloved victory well we weren't having much of it at all but on the 2nd of November, he was born, and uh, at the uh, the day after Thanksgiving, we started seven days of prayer and fasting because I'd heard a t- cassette tape message by Brother Billy Cole about how he had been in Thailand and baptized a bunch of people, couldn't pray anybody through the Holy Ghost, and so therefore, the, he asked the Lord why, and the Lord said, you haven't defeated the Prince of Thailand, so they fasted seven days and prayed seven days and bound the Prince of Thailand. I didn't know anything about it. So I go to the Bible, check that out. And I could see that that really is in the Bible, even though I'd never heard of it before. So the day after Thanksgiving of uh, November of 71, a few weeks after David was born, we started a seven-day prayer and fast. It was seven of us. Uh, We had two people that got the Holy Ghost, but I had to take one of them to Essex, Maryland, and one of them to Alexandria, Virginia, to get them prayed through. And then there was a couple of folks that were living here temporarily, so there were seven of us. And um, we prayed straight. We fasted straight through seven days. And every evening, we prayed together. And on the night of December the 3rd, the Friday night of that seven days, the Spirit of the Lord came on me, and I bound the Prince of Annapolis And commanded him to loose the lost souls of this area. And yes, that sounded so strange to my head. But the anointing of authority that came was so powerful that I did not deny it. I did not quench it. And uh, that night, I knew that something had broken. That was Friday night, Sunday, which was December the 5th. We prayed through three people in our building, and it was so easy. That month, December... Can you imagine the first month of real revival and harvest in this mission's work was in December when everybody knows you can't have revival and harvest in December? We baptized nine and had 11 people receive the Holy Ghost that month. The last two of those were brother and sister R.E. Libby, two hippies. We were a pair. He, he considered me square, and I considered him far out, and we loved one another. That's what the Lord does for people. If you only love people that, you, that are like you, you don't have any Holy Ghost working in your life. Praise God. So, I'll fast forward here. Uh, we had people get Holy Ghost, get baptized every month for over three years, and then suddenly things got tough. We began to pray and fast, and the Lord said, you now have to defeat this prince of Enronda County. And uh, we prayed and we fasted. That took a little bit longer. But when it broke, the Lord promised me then, he said, 10% is mine. I've always reserved 10% to myself. And he said, I'm promising you 10% of this county as members of Antioch. And that's where I began to lose some of you right there, See? But I've been believing this since 1974. Ask the folks that have been around here a while. That's impossible. You're you're right, it's impossible. I can't do that. You can't do it. God said he was going to do it. After that prayer of binding the Prince of Anne County, we had our first revival. We went three weeks with Brother Keith Clark and prayed 34 people through the Holy Ghost. That's a big revival for most, almost all churches today. And we didn't run but about 30 or 35 people at the time. Regularly at night on Sunday night. In June of 1975. I'm up praying one morning. And the Lord said to me. "Uh, Go out today. I'm going to give you a piece of property. Where you're going to be located. Okay. I went and to the closest real estate office and i talked to the realtor and i told him what i needed and he started hauling me around to places and none of them felt right didn't feel right he said well there's, i got one more place but he said i don't i don't think you can do it and i don't think it'll work i said let me see it anyway so we parked right at the bottom of that hill on the median and we got out and stood in the median to look at this property he said, there's 33 acres of ground here, 1,200 foot frontage on this highway. And I said, how much does he want for it? And he said, 185000 He said, now it's worth a lot more than that, but it's an older couple and they're divorcing and the guy just wants to get rid of it so he and his wife can split. As long as this property is not sold, they can't, they can't divide. They can't split. And they won't, they desperately want to be divorced. Okay. So... We were, our, our church payment at the time was $265 a month. And we were taking a special offering every month just to make the church payment. And <laughs> this property was $185,000. This is 1975. That was a lot of money. It's a lot of money now, but it was a lot of money then. And I turned to walk from the agent walk, to walk south. I turned my back on him, took a couple of steps that direction. And the Lord said, "Tell him you'll buy it." <laughs> I would have laughed if I wasn't terrified. The Lord says, "Offer him one hundred and fifty. He's going to come back with uh, uh, at one hundred sixty-five. Tell him that you'll give him ten thousand dollars in ninety days, and you want him to hold the entire mo- note, and that you'll pay him seven percent interest." <laughs> I turned to that agent. And I said, "No." Uh, I'd like to make an offer. He said, really? I said, yeah. We had just gotten a check in the mail for $1,000. Didn't know what it was for. We thought, we got a cushion. <laughs> no more special offerings. No. I turned to him and said, uh, I want to offer him $150,000. I'll give him $10,000 down in 90 days and... Um, I want him to carry the entire rest of the mortgage at 7%. And I'll pay him $2,000 a month. <laughs> that was the part I forgot. We're having to take special offer to, to pay two sixty-five, And the Lord says, we're going to pay. we still got to pay that. That's where I have a church. But we got to add $2,000 more a month for this property payment. Okay, Jesus. He said he'll never take it. I said, aren't you obligated to make any offer I he said, yeah, I'll write it up, but he's not going to take it. I said, I'll go home and I'm going to bring you $1,000 earnest money. <laughs> My wife about f- fell over. I went home and said, I needed that check for $1,000. She said, for what? I'm buying a piece of property. The guy submitted it. He told me he'll never accept it. Less than 24 hours later, he came back and agreed to everything except the price. He moved it up from 150 to 165 In 90 days, and only you didn't have ten thousand dollars, I didn't have any of it. So I contacted the agent and I said, I need another thirty days. Tell him I, I need another thirty days and I'll get him his ten thousand dollars. The guy said he's not gonna he's not gonna take it, he's gonna keep your thousand dollars and void this contract. I said, I need you to do that. He said, Okay, he submitted it. The guy accepted it. And uh it was 30 days later, and I didn't have any of the money. And there's a lady that we had knocked on her door. She never got baptized. She never got saved, but she loved my wife and I. We're out knocking doors. She's pregnant. And uh, this lady opens the door and said, what are y'all doing here? We want to invite you to church. Come on in this house, girl. Get off your feet. Come on in here. y'all. What are you doing? So... She fell in love with us. She gave us the baby shower with people we didn't even know, mostly, when David was born. And the Lord said, go ask her to loan you $10,000. I said, Lord, I'm going to ruin this friendship if if I do that. He said, I said, go ask her. And I went and I said, uh, her name was Titi, nickname. And I said, Titi. uh. I got a problem. She said, what's that? Her and her husband, they weren't rich, but they were—they had done well taking care of their money and all that. They were nice people. And I said, I, I'm trying to buy this piece of property, and I got to have $2,000 today, $10,000 today. She said, you want me to loan it to you? Uh, yeah, would you do that? I picked up her check at and deposited it at four p m went to the settlement at five pm with the check from the bank. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. We want it done early so we don 't have to have any test of faith. He supplied it by the time it was needed. It was the strength i 've done numerous settlements since then, and whatever strangest one I've ever seen the The old guy, it was like he was tethered and couldn't get away. The attorney, we would just, my wife sat there and I sat there and didn't say a word. And he would, they'd shove a piece of paper in front of me. He'd sign it. He'd get up and rant back and forth. I don't know why I'm doing this. They, they can't pay for this. I don't know why I'm doing this. Sit down and sign another piece of paper. Every time he signed a piece of paper, I'm telling you the truth before God. He would get up and rant back and forth. Until finally, there was. he didn't even know there was no more to sign. It was a done deal. Needless to say, we needed a miracle every month to make the payment. And we never moved into a building here until 1983. We made those $2,000 a month payments from December of 75 all the way till we got the mortgage and the construction loan to build this in 82. But God always, always did it. He always did it. I mean, needless to say, money was very tight. And I remember it was probably August of um, 77, 78. Um, I was sitting at the counter in the the kitchen, and the August Pentecostal Herald came in, and that gave the report of all the foreign mission giving. And the Lord, uh, I saw where we were in the list. It was way down. We were doing all we could, but it was way down. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you put my kingdom first. You take care of my house. I take care of yours. I sat down that day, wrote the Foreign Missions Division, what it was called then, and doubled every PIM we had. And from that point on, we never talked about this building or The payments or the utilities, none of them. All we ever talked about was missions. And the more missions we gave, the easier it was to make the church payment until we we reached the place that our missions giving was equal to our mortgage, $26,000 a month. And I didn't even have to think about it then. It was always there, both the missions and the mortgage payment uh yeah in 1978 we used to we start we had our first regular church services in the first weekend of april of 70 of 1971 for seven years or more we did our anniversaries on those that first weekend of april uh And we had our seventh anniversary, April of 78, and there was a man of God that had never been here before or hasn't been since. Um, And he prophesied that day. Some of you were there the day he prophesied that. And this was the prophecy. I will make this church an Antioch, a place to come to to be trained and to go out from for worldwide revival. Until that that time, the name of our church was the First United Pentecostal Church of Annapolis, Maryland, Inc. Incorporated. But um, in this situation, (laughs) from that moment, I I never said a word. From that moment, everybody that was a part of the church started calling us Antioch. Everybody did. We were Antioch. From that point on, we were Antioch. God said it. That's the way it is. And so to this day, those that are, were in that service, when they use the name Antioch, they're not talking about just here and this. They're talking about the prophecy and they're confessing their faith in the prophecy because God picked the name. And he picked the name to be a significance compared to what he planned to do here. I'm lowballing the numbers just so that I am safe and no one would accuse me of exaggerating. But in 50 years, there have been 135 plus ministers who have either been saved and trained here or saved here. or, Or excuse me, came through here to be trained 135 ministers plus three foreign missionaries. One of whom is here tonight, Brother John Hemus, was saved 30 years ago. This month, was it? Last month. That's right, August. 30 years ago in August, Brother Hemus was baptized filled with the Holy Ghost. And he's been a missionary in Liverpool for 19 years now. Of course, Brother and Sister Grossbach were the first missionaries out of here. And John's brother, uh, God sent him all the way to here, and he got baptized, he got the Holy Ghost right back there in what was the prayer room and baptized right here. Uh, I forgot what year that was. What? 93, okay. And his brother has done missions work all over the world, uh, tremendously used of God at times in the past. There has been, in this year alone, counting all the ministries of Antioch and all the platforms of its own, there's been approximately one million total views of ministry from Antioch this year so far. Now, that may or may not mean anything to you, but he said he said he would make it in Antioch and he would people would come to be trained. He didn't say how they would come and that they'd go out from here for a worldwide revival. Uh, in September of seventy nine, on a Sunday night, through the gift of prophecy, the Lord said he would make this church like a black dot on a white sheet. And a bright star on a black night. Whatever name or renown. Whether we're famous or infamous. Depends on different people's opinions. But that was not done by a man or men. God himself has done that because of what he's doing here. He made the choice. I'm moving on. In November of 1979, last part of 78 and 79, it was very difficult. We were were up against something. I didn't know what it was, but we were praying and fasting and warring and praying and fasting, binding and loosing. And in the latter, very near the end of November, one night I had a dream. And in this dream, it was the little church we owned on – Windsor Avenue was in the dream and I walked in the back door of the church and there was this large snake about six feet long or so about this big around and it had this black and gold pattern on it and in the dream I knew I'd seen it but I didn't know what it was but I hurried past him and walked through the auditorium and on the when I got to the platform in the altar area there were two smaller versions of that exact snake that were in the altar area and uh And afterwards, it all made sense because it was very difficult to get people prayed through in that altar. But the ones that did seemed like they got consumed before they could get out of the building. It was weird. But this little building had two offices behind the platform. The left one was my office. The right one was an office we used for meetings or whatever. It wasn't very big. But somehow in the dream, I knew there were four or five brethren back there. And I went back there. In the dream, I... I I didn't see faces, don't know names of anybody else there, but one of them was Brother Ron Richards. And uh, I spoke to him and said, Ron, we have snakes in the church. Help me come catch them. Well, you may or may may or not know this about Brother Richards, but he is uh, an avid hunter. And uh, he knew stuff about this in the dream I had never heard of before. He said, wait a minute. And there was a small office, a closet in that office, and he went in there and got a burlap sack. I, I never heard anything thing like that in my life. This wasn't the power of suggestion. I never heard a thing, anything, I don't know anything about burlap snacks, sacks and snakes. But he grabbed the sack and pulled it out, and we went out the altar, and he handed it to me and said, Here, hold it open. And he reached down, grabbed both of those snakes and put them in the sack, and he took the sack and tied the knot off. And I said, well, what about the one in the alder area? It's only been a couple of years ago that I read this is supposedly possible. But with that burlap sack, those rattlesnakes harvests that they do down in Texas and those places like that, they use burlap sacks. They catch them and put them in it. I never heard of that in my life. A couple of years ago it was the first time I heard this is possible, but we went out to the altar area, fearless Ron. He said, now I'm going to grab you behind the head. You take his tail and pop him like a whip. Okay. I mean, he's like six feet long, about this big around. It had to be God because I I, I don't know how you would do that. But anyway, Brother Richards reached down and grabbed him right behind the head, and I grabbed him by the tail and popped him like this, and his head flew off. And the moment his flat head flew off, the Holy Ghost woke me up and said, I've given you dominion over the Prince of Maryland. Because immediately I recognized that pattern. If you look at the Maryland state flag, you see you see the black and gold part. If you took a diagonal swath out of that, that's exactly what that fla- that that uh, snake looked like. Uh, as I said earlier, my dad got the Holy Ghost the next month, which was the answer to a prayer that had been prayed in 79, it was a prayer that was prayed in 52. But in 80, we prayed through 551 people. And in 81, we prayed through 1,034 here in this church. In the beginning of 80, on Sunday night, we were averaging about 125 men, women, and children. And we prayed through 551 people that year. Praise God. I'm going to try to keep this short because I need to move along. Uh, Some of you are restless, and that's okay. But some of you need to know why you're here. Some of you need to know you're not here by accident. Some of you need to make a decision that maybe you don't want to go someplace where there's this, this high of expectations. I don't mean that unkindly. There's a lot of folks that have left here that are going to heaven someplace where there's a whole lot less expectations. You can't come here without expectations because we've got promises. And those promises, if you have faith in those promises, they produce expectations. And since you can't be here and be just an observer, a spectator, because it's negative for your soul... Some folks can't stand the heat so they get out of the kitchen. And some of you that are younger, I may have to give the interpretation for that. (laughs) When David was born, something happened to my wife and the doctor said that it was impossible for her to ever have another child. Well, we wanted another child and and it didn't happen, and it didn't happen, and it didn't happen. And so we were just just putting it in the hands of God and went on about our business. Uh, we were preparing for this year of revival. And in December, she got the flu. And it was the three-day flu, but it kept going. And it was the two-week flu, and it kept going. And, and it got to about a month flu. I said, you know, I remember a time like this. She said, "Well, you know, I can't get pregnant." I said, "Well, why don't you go to the doctor and see?" So that morning, she went to the doctor's office. This is near the early January of nineteen eighty, and uh, I went to church to pray. And I was just praying; it was just my prayer time, and I'm just praying. And uh, the Lord said to me, "Why don't you ask me if your wife's going to have a baby?" And I laughed and said, "I'm going to find that out here in just a little bit. They're going to do a test." He said, I said, Why don't you ask me if your wife's gonna have a baby? And I laughed and said, Okay. Is my wife gonna have a baby? And I heard it as clear as I'm standing here. He said, Your wife's gonna have a baby, it's gonna be a boy, he's gonna be a boy. His name's gonna be Joel, and it's gonna be a sign to this church concerning the outpouring of the spirit I'm gonna give. And I went, Whoa. Okay. (laughs) Is that really you, God? Did, is that my imagination? Did I, did I imagine all that? And the phone ring, that was way back when you could have one line and you, you could ring in two different locations. And so I knew that was the doctor's office. So I snuck in the office, waited for it to stop ringing, and picked it up real and listened. I didn't want her to know I was listening. And the nurse said, Mrs. Wright, yes, I just want to let you know, we're very sorry, but you're you're not pregnant. And she hung up because I didn't want to hang up first because I didn't want her to hear my click. And I put that down. And I went out back out to the, aud- the auditorium and began to pray again. I said, Lord, I-, I thought that was you. That sure sounded like you to me. So I went home, and uh, I had to play it cool. I said, uh, what did the doctor say? Well, they they called and said, I'm, I'm not pregnant. And I said, well, let me tell you what happened today. And I told the story. She said, well, uh, whatever, you know. Uh, The Lord didn't say that to me, so uh, all I know is the doctor said, I'm not pregnant. Okay. So she was still sick and kept going on. I said, I want you to go back to the doctor and and be checked. So she went to the lady doctor. And uh, when she went to that appointment, I went back to the church. I'd been going to church, but I, I I went to the church on purpose that day to ask a question. I said, God, is that really you? is my wife going to have a baby and she said he said uh she's going to have a baby he's going to be a boy. His name's going to be Joel. joel's going to be assigned to this church concerning the outpouring spirit i'm going to give it's okay so i went home and i said to my wife what the doctor say i'm expecting her to say i'm pregnant doctors she said the doctor did a visual examination the inside of my womb and said i'm not only not pregnant it's impossible for me to get pregnant and I looked at her, and I said, "There's one. that's one doctor that doesn't know what he's talking about because I asked the Lord again today, and he said it, and I'm believing it. She said, okay. Well, the Lord had not said that to me yet. I said, okay. Well, I got impatient a couple of uh, weeks later. we This is the part I'm going to be in trouble for when I get home. We just did it ourselves, you know, until the test, whatever. And our test says she's pregnant. And I said, see there. See that? see there? I said, now go back to go 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 get the doctor catch up. No, I'm gonna wait a while. So she went. And it was nearing the end of March, or somewhere in March, I think it was. So she went, the doctor said, Oh, Ms. Wright, you're pregnant. Really? You think? So right after that, it was it was a little before that, because right after that. I told the church and we started revival on the thirteenth of March. And we went eleven weeks, five services a week, prayed through four hundred and five people, baptized three hundred and ninety seven. And he's not born yet. Well, I mean, I had a couple people tell me, What are you gonna do if it's a girl? I guess I'll go sell cars because I don't know what the voice of God sounds like if I if it's a girl. So, not, I wasn't opposed to a girl. I didn't bring this up. The Lord wants initiated it all. So, uh, we were on a church camping trip in August, in late July, actually. My wife was due, I think it was the end of July, the end of August, and, uh, I'm in the woods praying, trying to get a little break where I can pray a little bit. And I, we, we've we thought of every middle middle name you can imagine. And I, I repented and said to God, if you had a first name, you've got a second name. What is it? He said, name him Seth. And I said, who wants a kid named Seth? And he said, when you get home, look it up. Because I didn't travel with an iPad with all my Bibles on it. So, when I got home, I looked up the word Seth and it meant sprout, which is very rapid growth. And it was compensation. And compensation is that which is given uh, for service and that which is given in exchange for that which is given up. Well, he was late. And the doctor said, well, we're going to have to do something here. It's going to get unsafe for you and him. So we went in on the 12th of September. That was the doctor's day. He told us to come that day. And he said, I'm going to induce labor. She got there. She was not in labor. We got there. She got checked in. And before they could induce labor, she started in labor right around 8 o'clock that morning. He was born exactly not eleven fifty nine and 59 seconds, not 12 and 1 second. According to the birth certificate, he was born exactly at 12 noon on September the 12th, 1980, which was 10 years to the day since we had moved into town to start this church. So, you've come too late to tell me prophecy isn't real and doesn't work. I don't remember if we had done it before then, but after that, because God made such a big deal about the 12th of September, from then on we, we celebrated our church anniversaries on the 12th of September, not on the first weekend of April. At the beginning of the third revival of those two years, on the morning of uh, October 11th, 1981, early in the morning, I went into a spirit of intercessory prayer. And in that spirit of prayer, uh, I saw these large gates, and we were coming against those gates, pounding on those gates, and finally those gates broke open, and there was a flow of humans coming out of it. And the story, the dream, the vision is much more... Uh, detailed in that but i'm for time's sake stopping that it was it was massive i couldn't even begin to count how many people came out of those gates which represented salvation uh, but the lord told me that morning was the start of that revival we had, that morning was going to be the first service but the lord told me before the first service that this vision is not for this revival. It's for the end time revival. And uh, in that revival, we prayed through over 600 people in nine weeks. And that was not the revival and the vision. I realize people think I'm crazy. I realize people, there are people that think I'm out there. No. I just believe what God says. But how's it going to happen? Not my problem. I don't have to produce it. I just have to believe it. And do whatever he says. Whenever he says do it, I don't have to make it happen. I just have to believe it. And if you are impatient with God, and you don't like the trials that you're in, and you don't like the way he works stuff out, you're never going to see what God's going to do. You're going to be a spectator. I said, I don't mean that unkindly. It's just the facts. You're going to be a spectator. Huh. In May of 82, I was so distraught over the fact that we couldn't hold that massive of a revival or take care of a disciple people using only church services that God gave me the revelation of what I called at the time care ministry. We call it small group ministry today. Each of the congregations has a little different name for it. It's the same principle. And it doesn't have to be done exactly the same way. It's the principle. It's the ministry of the body to the body. It's also the mother dimension of ministry. The pulpit is the father dimension of ministry it's the direction, the correction, the instruction, the whatever. But the mother is the nurturer. And none of us survived without a mother unless we didn't have any other choice. And sometimes the quality of that survival comes into question with the damage that's done to people. (sighs) February of 84, God healed me of being molested when I was five. I was 38 years old. I'd suffered with shame for 33 years. Didn't know what was wrong with me. But in February of 84, the Lord delivered me of all those wounds. And it began a ministry that is affecting people around the world to this day. It's just passed on and passed on and passed on and people get healed and they they freely give, they freely give it, they freely receive, they freely give and it just goes on and the Lord the Lord did that. In 1985, I took my first trip to Africa. And I I prayed through 135 people by myself, 14 in two services that I tried to do traditionally and 121 as a prayer line where I prayed for every single one of them myself. And I came home begging God to let me go to Africa because souls are souls, and every soul is important to God. And and with the amount of effort I was having to do here, prayer and fasting to pray through 10 people, I, I believed I could pray through a 1,000 there. And a soul is a soul, and the blood was all shed for everybody equally, and this is what I'm telling God. And uh, he uh, finally had enough of it after two weeks and said to me, Uh, I've sent the people to Africa that I wanted to go there. I sent you here. You've asked for great faith. I've given you great faith for revival in the northeast, and I need great faith to have revival in the northeast. And then he said just a a service or two after that. That wasn't in a service. I was actually in my car when he spoke that to me coming out of the southbound end of the old Baltimore uh, Baltimore, uh, tunnel. Uh, just coming out of the end, look at when the Lord spoke that to me. said, I gave you great faith for here. Don't presume you can do this anywhere. And then uh, a couple of Sunday nights later, the Lord said to me, I have called you to this city. This is my calling for you. I will send you many places in my will, but I will never change my calling. This is my calling for you. You will be, this will be your calling for the rest of your life. Don't ever ask me again to leave. I'm going to skip a couple of things at whatever. Uh, a couple of situations happened, and they were very painful, and I felt like my ministry, especially outside of Antioch, was over with. And it was... Uh, it was the fall of of 92, and I had just said to my wife, uh, it feels like every door's closed and my ministry is over with outside of this church. And the phone rang. And my wife answered, and she said, uh, we're sitting in the offices that were right over there. And she said, uh, it's Brother Barnes, the prophet T.W. Barnes. It's the only time he ever called me. And uh, I didn't even know he knew my number. And uh, I answered the phone. I said, hello. He never said, hello, how are you doing, how's things? He says, I know you feel like your ministry is over. Those are the first words he said. I know you feel like your ministry is over, but the greatest days of your ministry are all ahead of you. Everything up to now has just been preparation. And then he told me of a vision that he had where he was in a service with thousands and thousands of people, and that I was the preacher. And that while I was preaching, the glory of God came down on that service, and every single one of those people was affected. That hadn't happened yet. I'm still believing it. <sighs> In February, On the night of February the 15th, 1993, the Lord gave me the revelation of shame. The revelation of the ministry of shame. There were about 25 people that got help that night that had never gotten help before. And between those two nights, there's some miracles sitting here right now. Of people that got healed on one of those two nights. Of stuff they had carried all their lives. That ministry has just spread. You can go on YouTube and watch seminars that have been taught on that, but there's people all over the world teaching it and don't even know where they heard it. In November 97, the Board of Trustees informed me that God had spoken to them. I was supposed to be a bishop. I said, no. They said, then we're leaving. I said, what day do you want to do it? They said, you said you were going to submit to us. If you're not going to do what we're telling you to do, then we're—you don't need us. We're leaving. I said, "What day?" So they ordained me bishop, 31st of August, 1998. That changed my life in Antioch forever. We never—we didn't have any idea how much that was going to change things. But then, in November of '98—that was in November of '97—they said that they ordained me in August of '98. In November of '98, during a meet meeting here. Uh, M-E-A-T was Ministers Experiencing Apostolic Truths. Uh, During a meet meeting, there was a prophet that prophesied to me and said, uh, the Lord said through him that I would live to see all of the promises of God come to pass, but that they were not going to happen through me. And then he said, and for your shame, you shall have double. And the Lord said, 10% Ten percent is mine. I'm giving you the second ten percent for you so I don't it, whether you believe that or not? He said it. I believe it. I don't know how it's going to happen. It's not my problem. I don't care if he doesn't fulfill it to the last moment before he says, Come up hither <laughs> but that's twenty percent of this county. He didn't say how many were going to be a part of Antioch from Baltimore, Baltimore County. Howard County, Prince George's County, Washington, D.C., Calvert County, the Eastern Shore. Praise God. October the 12th, Friday night, October the 12th, 2002, we had done seven days of prayer and fasting, and that last day we were staying in the building for 24 hours praying and fasting. And that night the Lord told me to move the church out of the building on Sunday nights. This is October of 2002, and he said, I want you to raise the money, and I want you to buy all new sound equipment and keyboard, I want you to buy a trailer and put all of that in there. Don't take this equipment out of here. Put all that new equipment there and haul it to those auditoriums on Sunday night. And we got reservations for five months to go to school auditoriums for every Sunday night. A couple of weeks after that, he said, one of those buses you got out back there, I want you to convert it. Take all the seats out, put a horse trough in it, put a, and have the guys hook, come up with some way to heat the water so that you can have a mobile baptistry, the baptismal bus. Everybody thought I was crazy. We did it. First of January, we started the outdoor services. A little over six weeks after we started, this was no more. February the 18th, this entire building collapsed in a snowstorm. The only PA equipment we had was in a trailer. The only musical instruments we had were in a trailer. The only baptismal we had was in a bus. The bus is still back, sitting back there. If you'd like to see it, you don't believe it. And we already had some place to go for church services. And we were divided up into many different daughter works at the time on Sunday morning. The only only group that had to find some place to go on Sunday morning was the Arnold group. And the Knights of Columbus up the highway were kind enough to let us use their building. On that night of 2002, the Lord gave a prophecy. I'm not going to read it to you, but if you'd like to hear it. It's the only written prophecy I've ever he's ever used me to give it was weird I don't know I didn't know why he did it but he gave me a prophecy and the Lord promised things to Antioch 2005 a prophet named Ron Turner sent me a prophecy God had given him for this church and he the Holy Ghost through him emphasized on the word Antioch I don't think he'd ever been here I, I, I don't think he's ever been here but I knew him had known him a long time and and he he prophesied about that the name Antioch was specifically chosen by God because of what God's plan was for this church in the in the last days what our place was going to be in the last days in November 2005 the Lord said it was time to start the transition and to ordain David as pastor of Antioch So on December the 18th, 2005, he was made pastor of Antioch. I wasn't 60 yet. I wasn't old. I wasn't tired. I wasn't sick and tired. I was just obeying God. Why? Because the Lord said these things weren't going to happen through me. November 2011, the Lord said it was time for us to start two new congregations. No, excuse me, November, or June of 2009, I had a seven-hour-long, one day, I had a seven-hour-long angelic visitation. I kept waiting for him to leave, and I finally said, Lord, w- what is this? He said, this is a new angel I've sent to travel with you. I'm about to send you to nations. Two weeks later, I got a call from Brother Willoughby in Singapore, to come there in September of '09 and teach shame. You can still find that seminar broken up into 40 10-minute sections, which is all YouTube would let you do from that. But from that meeting, I spent the next 10 years doing up to six nations a year. So in November 2011, the Lord said it's time to start two new congregations. So in February of 2012, we started Antioch North. I thought in a few months we were going to start the third congregation. But the Lord just kind of said, no, not yet. It's one of those times where you think everything's going to just go boom, 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 boom. And he says, boom, boom, just to see if we were going to wait on him or do it ourselves. I'm not going to read this but Brother Shelton called me in the spring of 2015 no I am going to read this one I am I'm going to read this one he called me in the spring of 2015 it's short I'm going to read it to you he said the Lord spoke to me concerning you and Antioch and the vision God had given you he said that he had kept up with every dollar that you and Antioch had invested into the kingdom as he led you to. He said that he had not only kept count of every dollar, but that he had counted it as seed to you and to Antioch. He said that every seed you had sown would produce a harvest as you needed it to. It wouldn't all come in at the same time, but, but that because you had never stopped sowing the harvest would always be there. He said, you didn't have to ask for harvest, but simply to guard it, protect it, water it, and keep it. He said, you had always said yes with the seed, and he would always say yes to the harvest. In November of 2015, the Lord said it was time to start the third congregation. The person that I had thought was going to start that congregation, I went to them and they said, I'm tired. I don't don't believe I'm supposed to do this. And I said, you sure? Because you're the man up and uh, it's yours to turn down. He said, no, no, that's, that's not for me to do. And then when he when he turned it down, I said, okay, Lord, you said it's time to do it. We can't do it without a pastor. Who's that supposed to be? Well, <laughs> the Lord said that was supposed to be Joel. You talk about shocking everybody, me, Joel, everybody else. Because both Joel and I felt like for years he was going to be an evangelist. But the Lord has brought his ministry from immature into mature, and come to find out he's quite a teacher and a pastor. Wow. I'm almost done. December 6th of 2018, the Lord spoke to me about three weeks into March and said, "Uh, I want you to go to Singapore the first morning of Monday morning of December. He didn't say why. I didn't ask. He didn't say. I said to my wife, "I I I'm, I got to go to Singapore on whatever that was." The first morning, I think it must have been the fourth or the third. She said, "Why are you going?" Because he told me to. Okay. So I flew out. Flew out of here Sunday, Monday morning early. Flew, got into Singapore right after midnight their time Wednesday. And I got to see Brother Timothy Lee for about three hours on Wednesday and three hours on Thursday. I thought God sent me there to talk to him. God sent me there to talk to me. And he wasn't going to talk to me till I proved I would do what he said for me to do without him explaining it. Without having to make him force me to do it. And it was there that he told me that my ministry was going to change and I wasn't going to go to Nations uh, if at all anymore. And he said to me, 2019, you prepare because your ministry is changing in 2020. He said, in fact, most of 2020, you're going to be in the studio. Okay. I like doing that. Fine. So I... My wife and I traveled to six nations in the first six months of last year, and they all knew this may be your last, this may be the last time. I don't know when I'll be back. So I did that. And then in the fall, uh, we built a studio. If you've never seen it, you can come ask to see it. It's back behind here on the first floor. It's a full-fledged video studio, and we have done hundreds of Hundreds of videos in there since it was finished. Who knew that this year that was going to be the primary ministry? Huh. But then something started changing. The Lord sent me to Singapore. In December of 2018 and I didn't know he was going to prepare for 2021 in October of 2019 but in October of 2019 I was preaching one night for a church and the pastor or the bishop there's an apostle of God and he told his whole church in introducing me that night to speak that God had showed him that I was called of God to be the following for the church. For the church. And I'm reading from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Those aren't my words. I'm not the one that claimed them for me this apostle of God said, God told him that those were things he was going to do through me. And some of you here in that last verse can say what's new, right? But uh, whatever. So then, in July of 2020, the Lord began to speak to me repeatedly all month that he As he sent me to the nations, he was now sending me to my people, this country. He said that my wife and I would be traveling two to three weeks a month to the places that he would tell me to go for the purpose of being his conduit for apostolic ministry. He said that I was to only go specifically where he would send me because he was not going to allow me to do what man asked me to do I would only be allowed to do what he told me to do and to say only what he was sending me to say. And that begins the 1st of January, 2021. Why? Because I'm still going to be the Bishop of Antioch. I'm still going to be the Board of Chairman of the Board of Trustees. I'm still going to be the Chairman of the Executive Council. But my absence is going to provide more room (laughs) for the congregational pastors to lead as God leads them. Now, I've got something to pray at the end of the service tomorrow night, and I'm not going to tell you what it is now, but God is going to do something in this church. And all this carnality of comparing ourselves among ourselves and measuring ourselves by ourselves, that is, the the Bible is very kind. It says it's not wise. I'm going to be not as kind of the Bible. It's foolishness. First of all, if you believe that any of these congregations are doing anything, anything, without my knowledge, And that I am not ready to step in and do whatever God tells me to do with anybody. You don't know me, and you don't know my relationship with God. I fear God and nobody else. I don't fear any outcome from me obeying God. Because if He speaks to me and I do what He says, whatever the outcome is, He knew about it in advance, and it's His problem. I told you that the vision was that these churches were going to look different on the front but they would be joined down the sides. Antioch Central is what Antioch Central is supposed to be. Antioch Central is doing what Antioch Central is supposed to do. Period. Antioch North Is doing what Antioch North is supposed to do, and Antioch North is being who Antioch North is supposed to be. Period. And Antioch West is doing what Antioch West is supposed to be, do, and they're being who they're supposed to be. The Bible says we should be all things to all men that by all means, we might win some. You should be at peace where God put you and participate with how God is leading the congregation that you're a part of. He is going to fulfill His promises. And we may use three totally different methods in the direction of God. At the direction of God to do that. There are people out there. (laughs) They just aren't going to be saved without a church service. That's it, period. And some of you I'm worried about because some of you haven't done so well without church services. But there's other people out there. They are never going to be saved in what we would call a traditional structure or something that even appears to be the traditional structure on the surface or something that appears to be totally non-traditional on the surface. I'm in communication with these pastors. They are submitted to me. If you've got a problem with it, you don't have a problem with them you got a problem with me. And if you got a problem with me, you got a problem with my God because I'm following my God as closely as He can possibly help me follow. And every day I'm trying to, to be, get closer to Him so I'm following Him. I don't want to just follow Him every day. I don't want to just follow Him every hour. I don't want to just follow Him every minute. I want to follow Him every moment. I have a walk with God. How long do you think it takes to take a step? Even an old guy like me can take a step in less than a second. So I want every step. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Our steps are in His control. I don't want Him just to tell me what to, the high points of the week and let me fill in the rest. I don't want Him to fill in, tell me the high points of the day and let me fill in the rest. I want to walk with God literally. And if you have a problem with what's going on, it's a problem. Because <laughs> I tell you what, you do. If you've got a problem with what's going on, I'm going to invite you to pray with me every minute of the day I pray. And we'll do that for a week. And then then after we pray like that, you tell me that God has told you that one of these congregations is wrong. And I'll listen. <laughs> I just called you bluff. God has made promises here. That I've given my whole life to see fulfilled. And the most difficult thing I think he's ever said to me in my life was. That I would live to see them happen. But they were not. I wasn't going to be the one getting to preach the messages. and Baptizing and praying them through. But at least I'm going to get to live to see them happen. And you know what? I'm hanging on to that. I got a death grip on that promise. And I'm believing that. And not me and not you and not anybody else is going to be allowed by God to stand in the way of those promises come to pass. So we're either going to trust Him, like Job said in the first trial, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And like Job said in the second trial, shall we receive... Evil. A good at the hands of the Lord. And shall we not receive evil? Our God is in control. He knows exactly what's going on. Whether I live or die. I trust Him. Explicitly. And. Uh, it's not important. For the promises made to me. For you to believe them. It's fine. But. But. I believe them with everything in me. I believe them. And uh, I believe he's going to do it. And I believe when he fulfills all these promises, it's going to be supernatural. Oh, I skipped one. The first night we had service in this building, which used to be the, the, there was no second floor. It used to be the original sanctuary. The first night we had service in, the building wasn't even finished, but we started having church in it. The first night there was, tongues and interpretation of the Lord said this is not the building I promised you and on the night of the dedication of the building I promised you on this site Antioch will be debt free now I realize for some you haven't known him very long and you're still in uh, the growing phase of faith I realize I've had 62 years of salvation experience with the Holy Ghost, 52 years of ministry, 62 years of prayer and study, and experience with God to get to this place of faith. And it is not fair to you to judge yourself by me. But if you would let me be your example, and if you would join with me to whatever degree you could with faith, God is ready to do things. Now, I have three. I have the three written prophecies, two that I did not read, the third one I did read. I will make them available to your pastor if you want to read the prophecies, uh, the other two written ones that are very revealing. I will. Uh, you can get them from your pastor. They will be in uh, PDF format, probably the easiest. I don't know what you expected tonight. This is exactly what I expected. So many of you precious, precious people, you don't even know where you're going to church. And the good thing about this right here is that even though there's some few things I skipped, and all of this was the high points, you understand. 50 years, high points of 50 years and what, uh, hour and a half, whatever it is. It's been recorded. It will be available for you to watch, people that were not here to watch, new people to watch, for so you can know where you're going to church. Are we better than anybody else? No, we're not trying to be better than anybody else we more spiritual than anybody else. We're not measuring ourselves among ourselves. We're not comparing ourselves with others. We're just trying to, we're measuring ourselves by what God has said to us. And we're comparing ourselves to what God has said to us. And we want to see what God has said to us come to pass. Now, I'm going to say this to you. I realize there's some folks that weren't comfortable coming and they're watching this online fine. I'm saying this to everybody connected with Antioch. Directly and indirectly. There are people during this year that have become faithful, committed participants with Antioch from most every continent. And you just don't know about that yet. I'm not exaggerating. It's not my testimonies to tell there are people that are committed to this church to be a part of this. Not because, again, I didn't make this choice. This is not what I wanted to do. God sent me here. God sent her here. God sent us here by His choice. And what He has said here and what He has done here is all on His choice. If you're here, He chose you to be a part of this. He has a place for you here. God has a place for you here. You may ask yourself, I don't know what I can do here. You give yourself completely to God, and He might shock you with what He's able to do through you if you just give Him the chance to do that. Young, old, married, single, it doesn't make any difference. God has a unique place for every single one of us in his body, in his plan. Now, if the day comes that there's just too much expectation here and you want to go to some other church that preaches the truth, we will pray for you and bless you in your going. We love you and we're happy you're here but if you don't feel like you're supposed to be here uh, yes the expectations are pretty high the expectations are high if you're here God put you here but he didn't he put you here to be a spectator he put you here to be somehow a participant in his promises that's what he put you here Sister Wright why don't you give these folks hope And come back to this or keyboard. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the authority given unto me by the Word of God, the name of Jesus, and the Spirit of God, I take dominion and authority over every COVID virus or any other virus or sickness that might want to attach itself to anybody here as a result of being a part of this service. I curse you in the name of Jesus. I command you to die. You will not make anybody sick from being in this service. You will not afflict anybody from being here. We claim that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We plead the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ against you. By His stripes, we are well. By His stripes, we are whole. By his stripes, we are healthy. We receive it from you, Jesus. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. We're not going to pray one for another tonight. We're going to just just for another moment or two. It's uh, 622. We don't have to put anything away tonight, I don't think. And we've got another moment or two here before we're going to go. But would you just would you just close your eyes and and just get your 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 mind, your soul, your spirit tuned into God? as Sister Wright uh, begins to sing, and it's and we we tune our spirits into God so that we can listen to the voice of the Lord speak to us, so He can give us direction, so He can give us instruction. Do you know how many? how many people out there that used to be a part of this church that lost their way and 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 they're just waiting for somebody to love them enough just to say, hey, uh, we love you. We'd, we'd be happy. We'd be thrilled to have you come home. You, you know how many people are out, out there like that? In Jesus' name. They're children of God. They've been a part of this family. This family wants to welcome them home if, if the Lord just gave us a significant number of those folks this parking lot would be crammed full right now and not, that wouldn't even be all of them again at the expense of some considering it hyperbole or exaggeration in the 50 years of this church there have been in excess of 5,000 people that have received the Holy Ghost the first time or come here they were backslidden when they came and they prayed back through here. I'm not talking about people that backslid from here and came back here, but the Lord has done that. Can you think of just the ones that still live in Maryland and D.C., if, if God just gave us even half of them, how many people would be here? and the, you know the beauty of backsliders they already know something about jesus they already know something about the word they've already they've already spent time in prayer and learned something about that none of this is really weird or strange to them it might it might still be a little bit but it's god and god wants to do that and his love is so great he's able to reach anybody he's able to do that if we would just believe him open our hearts and our minds to the Lord bringing people home in Jesus name for those of you that at north and uh, west uh, or at north and central back here near the back is our beloved brother John (laughs) Lombardo praise God he has been doing phenomenal all year and right down here on the front, came back last Sunday, is our beloved brother, Bert Rue. This is his second service. We're so happy to see you, brother Rue. We're so happy to see you. Welcome home. Welcome home. We're happy to have you. And his wife, we're happy to have you. God bless you. Amen. And there may be others here I'm missing. It's hard to see and all of that. but. We're glad to have all of you. We're glad to have all of you. And all of you that couldn't make it or wasn't comfortable coming, God bless you. We're happy to have all of you. But the Lord the Lord, wants to do something. Could you just for a moment or two just pray and in your own words say, Lord, here, here I am. Take me, Lord. Use me. Whatever place you have for me, give me your grace that I would surrender and submit myself to you to do your will and not mine. Your will and not mine. Your will and not mine. Your will and not mine, Jesus. Your will and not mine. Your will and not mine. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. Which one do we sing? sing? My wife has felt we're supposed to sing this, so. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) There's a lighthouse
2: on the hillside that overlooks life seas. When I'm tossed, it sends out a light that I might. And the light that shines in darkness now will safely lead me home. If it was for that old lighthouse, my ship would sail no more. Of sin, he has shown.
3: that lives around us Says tear
2: that old house down You know, the big ships, they don't sail this way anymore Ain't no use, and it's standing round but then my mind goes back to that stormy night, when, just in time, I saw the light. Oh, that old lighthouse
3: that still stands, that stands up there on a
2: hill. <laughs>
1: So I thank God
2: for the lighthouse I owe my life to Him Jesus is the lighthouse And from the rocks of sin he has shown the light around me that I might clearly see. If it wasn't for the lighthouse, how many of you
3: has Antioch over the years been the lighthouse for you? Not 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 the church, but Jesus in the church. How many of you have been to the lighthouse? How many of you has it been to the lighthouse? That kept you off the rocks. That showed you the way. Not, the, not us, the people, but God in and through us. Come on. Why don't you give thanks to God for that right now? Are you where you want to be? Hopefully not. I'm not where I want to be. Are we where we need to be? Probably not, but. I'm not where I used to be, and I'm on my way to where I'm going to be in God. Come on. We need to give thanks to God for that right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of
2: Jesus. In the name of Jesus. (laughs) Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.
3: Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I'm going to ask Pastor Wright, David Wright, to come and give you any last-minute instructions here before you dismiss about leaving and also for tomorrow night. The three congregations will have church. Uh, uh, You will do your regular Sunday morning ministry, and then we'll meet back here at 4 tomorrow evening. In Jesus' name.